Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All right, welcome in, everybody. Good evening. Good to see you. If you're joining me here on the stream, or good to talk to you if you're listening at Sal Sports and Stuff on the podcast. Uh, if you are joining me here on the stream tonight on a Thursday night like we normally do, uh, we're coming at you a little bit uh, a little bit later than normal. Uh, 8.30, normally a 7.30 show. That's because got a couple of guests lined up and wanted to make sure that they could get in on their particular schedules and everything would work out. But in the meantime, actually still waiting on both of them because they do have some things going on and it's supposed to be a special edition of Sal Sports Live tonight. So hopefully we can do all this. Hopefully it's going to work out. Just waiting on my guests to come aboard, but a couple of things to get to before we do that. Anyway, we could talk about the bills a little bit and I appreciate everybody coming in. So hopefully you can see me all right. Hopefully you can hear me all right. And whether you're on the stream, Twitter at Sal Sports, Facebook at Sal Sports, YouTube, Coach Sal C., Appreciate you coming aboard the live show and, of course, the audio, Sal Sports and stuff. We do have some Bills stuff we can get to, but really want to kind of push most of that to next week because we are going to have, obviously, a Chargers game to talk about next week as the Bills sit here in the bye week at 7-3 and three after the crushing loss and the Hail Mary, of course, to the Arizona Cardinals. We're playing right now against the Seattle Seahawks. If anything really big happens in that game, we'll let you know while we're live. All right, got Laura on there. Uh, Vicky, thanks for coming in, so I know that we're good. And I'm going to welcome my first guest here. We're going to have two different sideline reporters on tonight. Going to call this Stories from the Sidelines. Got my friend John Harris from the Houston Texans and got my friend TJ Reeves from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, TJ's running a little bit late. It's actually his kids play soccer, so he's shuffling them back and forth from soccer practice. He'll be joining us in a moment, but that'll give my friend John Harris and I a chance to catch up a little bit here as we always do. What is going on, brother? You're looking great. How are you? Man, I, I hope we, I look okay. Uh, I tried to get uh, dressed up as much as I possibly could because I can't feel my back right now because I had back surgery on Monday, Sal. So what is um, going on? I'm, 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 a little, I'm a little out there, so there's no telling what I'm going to say tonight. So what happened? <laughs> happened? I don't know. I had a I had a herniated disc in the, my lower back, and I was trying to gut it through the season. And I just got to a point where I was like, I got to do something because it's just bad. And combine that with COVID, with the season, the way it's going for us, I was like, you know what? Let's just take care of it and try and get it done. So just rehabbing from that, recovering from that, man. It's has been fun, but you know what? Uh, such is life. And you know, it's funny. Like right before I came on, I saw somebody tweet to you about. Um, about how the NFL tonight, whatever the pregame show was, had the DeAndre Hopkins touchdown on. And I was like, yeah, about five or six million Houstonians don't want to see that either. So um, we're kindred spirits in that way that we don't really want to see that play ever again. That's right, because of DeAndre. That's right. But I will tell you, Bills fans are going to be big Texans fans this weekend during the bye week. You guys have the New England Patriots. Yep. I'll tell you, Deshaun Watson's played well against Bill Belichick and the Patriots over the years. What's the secret? Why has he done so well, whereas Belichick's really shut down so many young quarterbacks? Well, I think one of the biggest aspects is just Deshaun's ability to, and you guys know this pretty well, his ability to get out of anything. Um, the first time we played him in 2017, I'll never forget, we're in this game, he's making throws, he's just fearless. And they hit him with about four guys, Cassius Marsh and Lawrence Guy, and it's just, he's pinballing between four guys. And he somehow breaks out of it, and he looks over and he's got a running back on the sideline, just flips it to him. Runs up the sideline, and I was convinced. I was like, that's the play that wins us the game. And he just is fearless against them. He doesn't he doesn't back down uh, from anything. And he gets himself out of some messes at times. But the one thing he hasn't done against them, I will say for the most part, is he had turned a ball over against them that I can remember. Uh, 2017, his first time against them, he threw one to Stephon Gilmore. But after that, he didn't turn it over. Uh, 2018, fumble on the first play. But after that, he didn't turn it over. 2019, last year, um, the one we won on Sunday night, I don't think he turned it over once. And so that's been a big deal. He has not given in, really, to uh, to the Belichick defense. And he gets himself out of some messes that his offensive line has put him in. 
Um, and last year, it just kind of all came together for one night against the Patriots when no turnovers. He was on point. He made good deep throws. He took what, what the Patriots gave him, and he just drove them all night. And we really dominated the game, even though we won at 28-22. Wow. Yeah, that, I tell you. He's just he's phenomenal. I love watching him, but didn't love watching him in that wild card game when he did the same thing. And that's how you that's how the Texans won the game was that play to Taiwan Jones, who's now on the Bills. Exactly what you yeah. just described that he did the Patriots a couple of years ago. You know, it's funny that we talked to Bill O'Brien about that play, and he the week before we played week 17 against the Titans, and the game didn't matter against the Titans. It didn't matter. We were already in the Titans actually didn't need the game either. So we were basically playing a skeleton crew, but we didn't want our running backs to get more banged up. So Taiwan got some opportunities to run the ball in that game against Tennessee. And he ran it really well. And so that kind of sent off some flares to the offensive staff. Like, hey, maybe we can get Taiwan into the offense going forward. And he played in that game maybe about three or four plays. And he just happened to be in the right place at the right time and knew what to do when he got the ball. Um, but Deshaun made that play. And, you know, it was interesting that day. You know, you and I talk whenever we had a chance to see each other. And, you know, it's just so hard. And I, I was like, I knew how much that loss had to hurt because of how good the Bills looked in the first half. I mean, that looked like a team that could go beat anybody. And then the second half, we started making some plays and ride the momentum of the crowd and all that. But it really just came down to Deshaun making one more play than Josh was able to make. Uh, and then Taiwan getting it in position. But, you know, we just haven't been able to follow that up this year. Josh has continued to ascend, uh, although Deshaun has. Our team hasn't. Our team has not, you know, gone the same way as Deshaun, and that's obviously made it pretty tough and pretty much explains why we're 2-7. and seven. So before uh, TJ gets in here and I ask you guys a couple things about, you know, sidelines and a couple interesting stuff that's gone on, what about your season this year? I know we're doing all of the road games from the home radio booth, obviously, yeah. and I'm assuming you guys are too, but tell me if anything's different. Like, what, what's your season like right now? Well, I've, I've traveled every game. I'm actually a oh, Tier 2 employee. Good for so you. It's, I didn't know that. It's been interesting um, because I'm in the moat, um, yep. which is the the area around the field, and I'm, I'm there for home games, but I don't yeah. travel to the away games. Yeah, and so when we travel, sometimes, sometimes there are people there. Sometimes, I mean, I've had issues. I've had an issue. I had an issue with Fox um, one time because you know most of the time, you know, I, I worked with Evan Washburn when we played the Steelers. Yep, and we just. We taught, we knew each other before, so we were just kind of slide past, hey, man, excuse me, hey, yeah, and we'd kind of walk just like we would a normal game. Uh, but I had a game against the Vikings where sideline reporter kind of came up to me, and she's like, can you go up the stairs? I'm like, why? I was like, you can just slide past. She goes, I don't want to. And I went, I turned around and walked the other way. I was like, you can have it. I mean, wow. it's just kind of ridiculous in some sense. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, I've had more problems with Fox and CBS, but, um, but I've been in the moat for every game, including last week against the Browns when we got delayed and the national anthem, Sal, it's just, I've never seen weather like that. I mean, I live in Houston. I see hurricanes all the time. That's right. And we got rain and hail all at the same time in about 50 to 55 mile an hour winds and about knocked me over a couple of times. It was the most unbelievable weather I've ever seen in a game. So I've been down uh, and I've traveled with the team to every game. It has not been fun because you get to the city and you stay in your hotel you only leave the hotel to go to the game and that's it. And so that's one of the fun things about, you know, doing this job is you get to go travel. You get to take these little mini vacations and yeah, that's kind of taken away from you in some sense, but, um, but, but I've traveled. And so we, I mean, we've kind of done a little bit of everything this year just because of COVID-19. I mean, we had a game this year where we had, we had play by play Mark, our analyst, Dre, Andre Ware, and me in our booth, we were in four different locations wow. to do the game. And it, it was, I mean, it, it was wild. So, you know, we got through it. Um, we made it sound as professional as we can. But, man, it's, it's, been, it's been tough. And, you know, I've seen guys different, you know, throughout the, you know, throughout the league. You know, Nathan Zagur, I saw at the Browns, I saw a thing where he drove to Cleveland by himself. Sure, sure, yeah. He was in the moat and did it that way. Um, and you know, when the fans have not been in the stands, it's not a bad deal to be honest, you know, the Pittsburgh, there's no fans. So I, the times I just went and sat in the stands and watched, you know, kind of called the game from there. Cause my guys were back in Pittsburgh or back in Houston and I'm there in Pittsburgh. So I just kind of sat and that's where I did the game from. 
and it was a great seat. You know, it was kind of a different view than I was used to. Um, but it's, yeah, weird is just, you know, odd, strange. Um, and hopefully we can get back to doing what we do. But, you know, it just, it's made me, Sal, kind of step back and kind of assess what it is that we do and yeah. how fun it is and really appreciate it. Because I think maybe for that, maybe I didn't appreciate it as much, but I probably appreciate it a little bit more now, like how it was. And hopefully we can get back to that soon. Yeah, well said. And, you know, the traveling part for me this year was the year that really stinks not to travel because this was our, our West Coast trips this year, both, yeah. both AFC and NFC West. So yeah. we missed out and I missed out. No San Francisco coming up on a Monday night. San Francisco, Arizona, Denver, oh. Nashville down south. I mean, we, yeah. these were major trips. Vegas this year, yeah. right? We can go to. Now, next year, though, let's hope everything's back to normal because you guys will come up here to Buffalo. So that'll be right. good. I think I think uh, you guys are supposed to come up. But that's that's what's gotten it for me. And I'll tell you, I, 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 um, I feel the same way you do about, you know, the appreciation for it. But I will also tell you, it just doesn't – the pageantry isn't there because there's no fans, right? So yeah. you're in these stadiums that are just kind of empty – and the way I've described it, John, is it's like a re- – and you could tell us from Houston. You know this very well. Yeah. It's like a really intense high school football game. Yeah, you hear everybody on the field in this cavernous place, and it's and it's it's worth something. There's stakes on the line, but there's no fans. Yeah. And so I think a great uh, kind of um, balance for me and to kind of see how different it was, our last game of 2019 was famously at Kansas City. Our first game of the 2020 season was – famously at Kansas City as well to kick off the season. And that afternoon that we played Kansas City, when they are coming back, when we're up 24-0 and they're coming back, Sal, I thought the place was going to fall down. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a place. I mean, it was like, you know, the old Coliseum, like, you know, they're going to kill the lion sort of thing. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I need to get out of here safe. And then you juxtapose that against – here's the opening game of the year and you look around and there are, you know, 10, 12,000 fans in the stands and you're like, it is, it's like a, it's like a high school game here in, in Texas. And it really just goes to show how important the, the fans are to this in, entire situation. I mean, you talk to the players and the players won't say, yeah, we play for the fans, but you know, down deep, you know, they like to make those catches for the fans. You know, they like to celebrate with the fans. I mean, that's, such a big, big part of it, and I hate that that's been missing because there's been there have been some unbelievable football games. I mean, not you guys obviously played in one last week. You right. know, we played in one against Tennessee uh, that went into overtime. That was just incredible. And you, even though you know we lost that game, it's like man, I really wish that seventy-seven thousand people could have seen this game. But you know, hopefully, we can get beyond this. We can get people healthy, um, and we can get back to somewhat of a normal existence. And and I know people here and go, well, you know, you're complaining about it. And not really. I mean, look, 250,000 people have lost their lives, you know, due to something that, you know, we, we don't have any control over. And it's just such a shame. But just for what we do, keeping it relative to what we do, man, man, I've missed the fans. Now, I'm glad the fans aren't there when I'm in the moat. I, I'll promise you that because they'd been they'd be running down there asking me questions all the time. So um, I'm glad for that. But uh, it definitely has been an, an odd existence this year. Uh, and then the fact we're two and seven on top of it has made it even more surreal, Sal. Well, and yeah, I hear you on that. And you though, you and I are different. I think TJ might be also even in, even different from us, where I think he might be more of an independent like contractor. I don't think he works for the team or the station. I work for WGR. People say to me all the time, "You work for the Bills." I don't. I actually yeah. work for Entercom Radio. You work for the Houston Texans, though. Right. So it's interesting how everybody, no matter what radio station is the flagship, basically, it kind of works in a different way. But how did it work for you? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I was doing national radio in 2013. Um, had a good show, had you know, a good show going, I thought. And then station decided they want to go in a different direction. And so when they let me go, at that time, Mark Vanderbeer, who's the play-by-play voice of the Texans, they convinced him to come in-house and say, look, let's build all of this in-house and we'll house everything. So every TV show, every radio show, game day broadcast, all of that is, fr- is ours. We have all of that. Now, we put our TV shows on our ABC affiliate. We put our radio shows on, on our intercom affiliate. But I am I am a, a Texans employee. And it's kind of funny because it's kind of like that for me because people will you know get at me about, you know, well, you're on 610. You say this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm an employee of the Texans. 
I don't work for Intercom. And I'm the other way around. Hear me on 610. And so it, it, it gets sort of confusing for fans yeah. sometimes, you know, and especially being in the building, you know, it's tough. And I mean, you know, when, when Bill O'Brien was there, he was a guy I knew for a, for a very long time. And, you know, obviously the old Patriots thing, he kind of brought that to Houston and it just, it made it really, really tough. And we just, you know, we tried to be as positive as possible because we were, you know, we were employees of the team and, you know, people will come at me. I would like, who do you work for? Tell me your company. You work for that. Are you going to openly go on Twitter and blast them? Right. I mean, that's not good for your job security. So yeah, you know, I see things and there are things that, that I don't like and I, I wish we did better, but I find and try and find a different way to say it because like you said, Sal, I am an employee of the team. Yeah. All right. Well, that said, obviously I'm going to ask you a question here and then uh, TJ just texted me. He's going to be on in a little while with us, but let me ask you this. Um, Obviously, there's a coaching change that happened. Hasn't actually, you haven't hired anybody yet, but right. you know, Romeo's running the team right now. He's the head coach. You know, where do you see what? What do you think the team might be looking for? What do you think the direction will be by the end of the year and then heading into the offseason as far as what they're looking for in their next head coach? Well, I think it's a it's a, it's a great question, and it's been brought up so often. Um, it's been, in fact today it was brought up here in Houston um, because Cal McNair. Spoke and there was some stuff that came off from Adam Schefter. Then Calvin Nair talked to John McClain, who is the he is the the Houston football bible, if you will. Um, and so things didn't kind of jive, and so that was a big talking point today on on radio. And I think the biggest thing that I would like to see come into this building, and I think it will. I think, and as and I don't want to make it sound Pollyanna, but we need a positive vibe to come in the build in the building. And I think at the end of Bill's run even even years before it really had gotten to a point where it was it was very difficult um in in a lot of different ways um because i don't know that the players were getting the positive affirmation i know the fans certainly weren't getting it i mean there was a there was a video that got online about bill going after a fan and so you know i think the team needed and needs a positive vibe and also, they need somebody to come in here that is humble enough to say, I don't know these things, but I'm going to learn them, and I'm going to be a better coach day after day after day. Mm -hmm. And I see how Buffalo built it, you know, with Brandon and with Sean McDermott, and I see how they built it. And I'm like, that's the way that we should be looking. That's how we should be looking at this thing. And I think the last couple of years got away from Cal McNair from what he was comfortable with. Uh, and then obviously some some things were done, some moves were made in the offseason that kind of raised everybody's eyebrows like, oh, man, I don't know about this. And once it started going south, Cal McNair was like, look, I've had enough. I'm done. And I think what will come in here into Houston will be guys that bring a positive vibe mm -hmm. that are great leaders, great men um, that come in here and will lead adult men in the proper way. Um, like Sean McDermott does, how he leads the Bills, how he gets the most out of him. You know, it's interesting. So I watch Sean and I watch him on the sideline and I hear him on mic'd ups and I hear those things. And I'm like, you know, that's, you know, this game isn't for the timid. But then again, there are a lot of guys playing this game that need an attaboy every now and again. Yeah, sure. And they need a pat on the back every now and again. And they need a positive affirmation. They need an affirmation every now and again. I don't know that that was happening in Houston. I think it created some relationships that never were put back together. Uh, and that's why I think we're down a couple of really great players um, that the relationship went sour. And those guys at times just needed a pat on the back. And that was just not going to come from this organization. That was not going to come from the higher up. So hopefully we'll see what happens. Um, but that's the, the when people ask me, that's kind of hey, look at how they've done it. Because that, I think, is the model. Because we've got pieces, but we got to put the pieces around them. For Sean and Brandon, they had to go get Josh Allen. You know, they had to go get that piece, and they did. Well, they had that piece already. So you just got to fill the pieces around. Uh, and I think if we do that, we can get right back in this thing in a year or two. You have the piece. You have Deshaun Watson. I mean, anybody would want to be a part of that, but you also don't have a first and second round pick next year. You're yeah. a bunch of draft picks out. How, how does a someone coming in balance that as far as, you know, how attractive the job is? Because you could say, well, there's no draft picks. And I'd say, you just have Deshaun Watson, though. I mean, yeah. you know, that's pretty attractive. You know, you've got you've got Deshaun Watson. You've got two bookend tackles that will be there for a while. 
and you know you add a you know you you give us Devin Singletary and our offense gets back to being pretty darn good going forward. Now there are decisions to make, but you know the defense needs a rehaul. Um, that 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 side of the ball was kind of torn down so the offense could build up, and that's that's kind of what happened. So there is a rebuild over there, and I would say to people, oh, oh you don't have first or second round pick. Yeah, I understand, and it's it's unfortunate that we don't. However make the best out of what you have because you know what this team really doesn't have that it needs third fourth and fifth round talent that has come in here and taken two three four five starting jobs that we're not paying your free agents to do and if you hit home runs in the third fourth fifth round that's three that's three years at a minimum where you're getting pretty cheap labor and that's where you have to hit and when i look at the teams that have done well And I think of the Chiefs, you know, Tyreek, they got in the fifth round. Travis Kelsey was a third rounder. You know, they got guys in later rounds. And then obviously they got the the piece de resistance and Patrick in the first round. But they got, you know, everybody else for the most part in later rounds. They put a focus on the offensive line, got them in early rounds. And now you look at them and go, wow, uh, pretty good unit. But they're also getting guys that are undrafted and doing something with them. The whole mode of the Texans in 2020 was that the rookies didn't matter that they're not going to give anything to this team. It's all about veterans, and no rookies have really made an impact on our team, and it's killed us. So we got to have this rookie class that was small turn into something next year, and then that rookie class, the GM's got to take a lot of pride in bringing guys that can play right away. And if he does, we can get right back in this thing with some cheap labor for the next few years, and that's what we really got to be able to do. Yeah, I know um, I know you follow the draft really well, and you know we've seen each other, Senior Bowl, things like that. We're watching a really interesting age. It's funny. I've been saying on the radio all week, this this period reminds me of the 80s when I was growing up and there was these young quarterbacks like Kelly and Marino and yeah. LA and Steve Young came along and all those guys. I think we're seeing that now and maybe probably more so actually. We have more of them around the league. What, what do you think of the young guys this year? Burrow, Herbert, Tua, you know, how they compare to what you've seen so far for the guys who've been around, you know, Deshaun, Josh Allen now, Patrick Mahomes, those guys. I mean, the AFC is ridiculously loaded. I mean, it's absolutely, it's ridiculous. And I got a feeling the Patriots will, will pick one um, soon. I mean, they need to. They, I don't, they can't keep relying on Cam. I mean, Cam's body is going to fall apart at some point. But he's, they, they've got to get one. And, and look, they're, they're drafting record in New England. And I, I love, I love, you know, all this that I heard for, I don't know how many ever years about how the Patriots did things and the Patriots way. And this is how you do things. And you look at the, the draft record of the Patriots and it stinks. It's awful. Um, so from that perspective, you know, they still have to draft that guy, but my goodness, Joey B has no off season. Look what he's doing in Cincinnati, you know, Tua coming off a hip injury, uh, you know, taking Miami to, to different heights, you know, what, what Justin Herbert, and I saw it at the senior bowl, Justin Herbert, you know, we saw, when we were there together watching Justin was like, Whoa, the only guy I've seen throw a ball at a senior bowl like this is Josh Allen. That's the only guy I'd ever seen a senior bowl throw a ball like that. And Justin's been very, very good, but the Chargers can't find a way. They can't find a way to win games uh, at the end, and unfortunately, that may cost Anthony Lynn, who I think is a whale of a man and a whale of a leader. I think it's going to cost him his job. But the AFC, just in general, is unbelievable, and that goes back to the point of okay, most of the teams in the AFC have got a quarterback, but the GMs are going to be um, charged with building the teams. Mm-hmm. around that quarterback and how well you do that is going to determine whether you can stay in the AFC playoff race or not. You know, now some teams are going to have decisions to make soon, but New England, Pittsburgh, you know, Ben's been great, but how long will Ben be great? So from that perspective, um, it's going to be pretty interesting to watch the AFC, but man, there are some young gunslingers in this conference. There's no doubt. No uh, doubt. Are you a Tua guy? I like Tua. I like Tua. I think, I think Tua does more. We're, with- very, we're very, we're, we're a little concerned here. That's why I ask because in Buffalo, obviously, you got Josh. It looks like the Jets might take Lawrence. Yeah. You got, Tua, you got Tua, like they're, they're starting to play well. So people are kind of trying to figure out what that is. You know what I mean? I give Joe Douglas and the Jets a few years with Trevor Lawrence and no Adam Gase. Right. And see what they can do. I would be more scared of that kind of a blank slate with the Jets with Lawrence in a couple of years than I would be of Tua. Two is the kind of guy that will throw for, and it's kind of, I mean, it really came true in that first game. He'll throw for 80 yards, but he'll make the one throw he needs to make that day. And that's the that's the key thing about Tua is he'll make one play where you go, dang it, we had to stop that play and we didn't. 
So he may not throw for a million yards, but he's going to make the one play that'll keep them in a game, that'll beat you. And that's that's what worries me about facing Tua is that. I don't think he throws for more yards than Josh. I don't think he throws for more yards than Deshaun. He's run for more than Deshaun. But he's going to escape one time when you think you got him, and he's going to find a tight end. He's going to find Gasicki for 30 yards. And it's like, how did he do that? He'll do that once a game, and it's going to be that one play that you needed to stop and you couldn't do it. Yeah, no kidding. All right, so um, hopefully TJ will join me. If not, but we're, we'll get his thoughts on this. I want to ask you a couple things. So as a sideline reporter, um, we've all kind of been through some ups and downs, the team, personal crazy stuff. What's the best team moment you've been on the sidelines for, John? What's the best team moment, Texans team moment you've been on the sidelines for? Well, I mean, I, I hate to I hate to say it, but it had to be that playoff game last year. I mean, it, well, that's so, okay. that's my worst moment, the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I – you know, when we kicked that field goal, I mean, you were the first person I thought about. I was so excited. In fact, in my office, you know, the thing is, is the game should have never gotten to that point. When Jacob Martin makes the sack of Josh Allen on like fourth and 30, and he sacks him on the other side of the field, I thought it was over. And I mean, I was, I went running from that end zone all the way down and, and our photographer took a great picture of me that I have up in my office. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and the whole thing. And it should have been over by then, but of course we screwed it up. And, you know, Josh brought him back, which showed a lot of guile, I thought. You know, and Deshaun made that play. You know, that's the one that probably sticks with me. But, you know, kind of going along with it, I know you asked me about this, so I was kind of, this is kind of all in one. We went in 2015 to go play the Colts. Okay. So we, we had not beaten the Colts in our history at Indianapolis. We had beaten them in 2006. I wasn't here then. We had beaten them in 2010 when Arian Foster just went crazy on them. And then we had a couple of years where we had beaten them. And then in 2014, when I took over, we lost both games. Andrew Luck, you know, just did enough to win. So now we're playing in 2015. Luck is not there. It's Matt Hasselbeck. And they come up on a Thursday night, throw two touchdowns to Andre Johnson, which killed our fans. And we're like, oh, my God. So later in the year, we go there. We are – we're six and seven. We just lost you guys up in Buffalo. Okay. Yep. We've been on a run, um, but we lost to the Patriots. Then we lost to you guys. And now I think we were six and seven. Yeah, we're six and seven. The Colts were six and seven. It was a bad division, but we had never beaten the Colts at any. And so in that game, TJ Yates starts because we're down like four quarterbacks already. Second quarter, he tears his ACL. Oh. Brandon Whedon has been with us for like three weeks. And he's got to come in the game. He leads us to a field goal on the drive that TJ gets hurt. So we get a field goal before the half. So it's so it's 10 um, – no, it's 6 to 3. 6 to 3, I think it was. And we get the ball at the 10-yard line. I'm like, oh, my God. They're like eight minutes or nine minutes left in the game. I'm like, we got Brandon Whedon. There's no way we're going 90 yards to win this thing. And I'll be damned if Whedon doesn't lead us. It's ah. hop on a deep throw. He gets a P.I. We had a key third and four, and they got 12 guys in the field. So we get a first down. And so it's it's first and goal, and we got a rookie in the game named Jalen Strong. And Jalen could have been a lot better than he was. He had some issues when he got to us. And, but Jalen had already caught a Hail Mary against the Colts in the Thursday night game. And so we kind of jokingly called him a Colts killer. So he comes in the game. He had already made a catch in the game that helped us get that field goal. So he goes in motion. He runs to the flat. And so we're on about the seven-yard line. So I'm standing right at the goal line. But I'm behind the yellow line. I mean, the yellow line, you know that. We stay behind the yellow line. We can't get <laughs> that. line. That's right. The whole play's coming at me. Strong reverse motion and came right at, like, right at me. Whedon flips in the ball. Jalen catches it. And now it's a mad dash for the pylon. And you're right there. And so I'm watching this whole thing unfold, and Jalen's about to dive in and score, and I, from my spot, I jump up in the air like, yes. I mean, I got up higher than I'd gotten up in 20 years. The problem was is with that whole mosh pit of people coming in that direction, the side judge had moved all the way off the field and literally was right in front of me. Oh boy. So when I'm landing in the air, I literally kind of go like I'm going to hug him so I don't touch him because oh, I literally land around him. You know, I do that. And then I just ran like hell because I was like, 
No way. I mean, I I mean, Sal, I'm talking it's inches, if not an inch. Thing was, is I was in my territory. He just ended up kind of in my lap, basically. Oh my God. So I we go celebrate and we end up winning the game. And it's just an awesome feeling because we finally beat the Colts in Indy. Mark Vandermeer, who's our play-by-play voice, and Andre Ware, they had done every game, never beaten Indy. We did it in my second time there, had that moment. And right after it, we kicked the extra point, and I'm just looking at the clock. Now I'm nervous. I'm kind of like – and I feel this tap on my shoulder. And it's the side judge, and he goes, it was close. And I was like – I said – I was like, yeah, I know it was close. I said, but I was behind the yellow line. He goes, no, no. He goes, I, I know, I know. He goes, but it was close. That would have been bad. I was like, oh, yeah, I know it would have been bad. That's so amazing. I tried to kind of watch from different areas now, not get caught where that might happen to me. But that was that was probably my – of the stories I can tell, there's probably two or three of them I can't tell ever on the air um, to protect myself and, and others. Um, but uh, but that one was probably probably my favorite. Um, when we beat the Colts, and then that that moment happened with Jan Strong scoring that touchdown. Well, let me let in uh, TJ Reeves, Bucks sideline reporter. Say hi to John Harris from the Texans. TJ, say hi to TJ. Guys, you, buddy? guys, great to be with you. Hope all is well. Hope you hear me all right. And thank you for bearing with me, Sal, because you can oh, identify, John. I don't know if you're a parent, but Sal can identify. We had the final middle school girls soccer practice tonight oh, yeah. before the final game Saturday. You may have heard this. We're open in Florida, unlike a lot of other states. John's in Texas. They're open in Texas. So we're doing things like practicing soccer, playing soccer. So we had the final soccer practice. We're all trying to say, you know, be ready for the last game. uh, Players are are saying kind of goodbye to each other. We're trying to get out of there. We're trying to get food. We're trying to get here. So so I apologize because I said to Sal over and over again, I'm trying to get there for 830. (laughs) I'm trying to get there for 845. So I'm glad uh, Eastern time. So I'm glad that I got in here on the uh, on the three way conversation. And, uh, you know, these moments that we get to spend down on the field, it's not lost on me that we're privileged to be down there. And I, I have gotten the opportunity to do this now for 16 seasons going back to 05. So I've got all kinds of stories just like what you guys are talking about. But let me, it's – Let me ask you, are you – Sure. Are, are you, he, John is an employee of the team. I'm an employee of right. Edicom. But you, I think you're different. You're like a, a kind of a, a personal contra- contractor, basically. I'm a contractor for the team. That's correct. So I don't work for the team year-round. I work for the team during the season, okay. which got a little goofy – as we got closer to the season of, are they going to use you? Because there, if there are no yeah. games, they're not going to have a role for for. But uh, the Buccaneers did a, a fantastic thing by me and our broadcast crew and said, "Hey, we will utilize you. We will pay you where we can pay you, um, etc." So that's how it works uh, in my instance. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm identifying with the story that John is telling because you have moments where you have euphoria, and then you have other moments. Uh, I'll give you one to the negative. So we're yep. playing Andy Reid and the Eagles. Uh, this is 2013, late in the year. We're not good. Greg Schiano is the uh, is the coach, and I could, like John said, I could tell 15 <laughs> stories off the year that I probably shouldn't tell, but I'll tell a couple of them probably tonight uh, here. So last probably 20 seconds of the game, the Eagles have to have a touchdown. They've moved inside the red zone. A field goal does them no good. I am down in the right corner because in our role, we're allowed to to roam around. I'm staying off the goal line because the network people uh, want the goal line shot with their camera. So I'm not right on the goal line. I'm like at the two. And I swear to you, Nick Foles rolled my way. Nick Foles is the Eagles quarterback at this point for Chip Kelly. I'm trying to remember who the receiver was. I want to say Jeremy Macklin sounds right. It was an Eagles receiver. It was not. This is before like all Sean Jeffrey and those guys. But I see him out of the corner of my eye make a move and get open, and I see Foles coming, and they throw the pass, and there's literally like one second left in the game when he catches in the corner of the end zone kind of sliding with his cleats and out of bounds, and the ref on the field calls touchdown so they can review it. So now they're going to review it anyway because it's under two minutes. So now there's one second left in the game, and the Eagles are celebrating right in front of me. Foles is jumping up and down. Jeremy Macklin's – they're all mobbing. They're jumping up and down. They've scored with one second left. So they're coming to me about did he get his feet in. Well, I can see in the corner of the natural grass field his cleat marks 
started in the end zone where he's sliding. And I'm like, if they see that, forget about the replay. He's in. Yeah. And so I'm having a relay, boys. They can look at this for 10 minutes if they want to. He's in. They called it a touchdown. He's in. And there is, in this role, there's no worse feeling because I also go in, John, I don't know about you or Sal, I go in and do the live locker room show. So yeah. we're going from, hey, you've held them, you've beaten them, you've won, to you've lost on the last play of the game, basically. Kind of what happened to Buffalo last week on the Hail Mary. Right. Complete reversal of what you're now about to do in the locker room. So I'm standing there in part relaying the bad news. He's in. I can see he's in. I don't have to see the replay up on the video board. I know he's in. And oh crap, all the all the questions now are how did you not put this away? How did you not win? Uh etc. So there's a story to start off with to the negative. I I've, I've got a few other ones whatever you want as we go well, yeah, along fire away. You both you've been with different regimes. You've been with different coaches. Right. I mean, I mean, you were there before Bill, right, John? You were there before Bill O'Brien. No, I, I well, I lived in Houston from two. I, I got, I'm, I'm from Houston, moved back right. here to 2007 Star Radio. So I was here for pretty much the whole Gary Kubiak era. I got with the team in 2014, and part of it was because I, I knew, you know, I knew Bill O'Brien. Now, right. I can imagine Shiano and O'Brien kind of came from the same tree in trying to talk to them after a game and. We had we had one in 2017 against Seattle. It still to this day is the greatest football game I've ever seen. I remember it. Deshaun, Deshaun's rookie year, and we go out to Seattle. And, you know, it's one of those trips, you know, we talked about this earlier, TJ, about how, you know, our job, we get these kind of mini vacations, you know, that we get. And it's, you know, it's awesome. So we're going out to Seattle. I had been out, I had been to Seattle in like uh it'd been like 20-something years. Um making sure my wife isn't listening because that was when I saw my ex-girlfriend. It was the last time I've been in Seattle. So she doesn't like to talk to me about me going to Seattle. So we go out there and right before we went out there, that Friday morning, I'll never forget it. Six o'clock in the morning, my alarm hits. I'm like, oh, I'm, I've got a glass of water. And I see a tweet pop up and I see comments from Bob McNair. And I just went, oh God, this is going to be awful. So those comments happened that happened on a friday that was made known on a friday and it's like oh my god seattle oh seattle's just gonna destroy us i mean we're gonna be a mess we're gonna be just awful i mean this is gonna be one of the worst days ever and it turned into one of the most glorious football games i've ever seen just back and forth with russell wilson and deshaun and deshaun's a rookie and he's spinning around and throwing touchdowns and we get the lead. We pick a ball off with two minutes and 30 seconds left, and we can't close it out. They go 75 yards in about 35 seconds. And I only interview – I would only interview Bill on road games. And so Jimmy Graham catches a pass with 10 seconds left. And I just remember seeing that happen and, like, what the hell am I going to ask him? Because, I, I mean, I was feeling the same way, like – I don't want to ask him a damn thing. And I, you know, to his credit, he knew he had to do it. He stepped out. He talked about how great Deshaun was, how tough the weekend was, everything. I mean, I, you know, he's professional about it, but man, it was the same thing. It was like, we're going to have this great victory in Seattle. We've got this young gunslinger. And then Russell Wilson somehow pulls a victory from out of nowhere. And I've never been in a place louder than when Jimmy Graham caught that ball at Seattle. My God, it was it was earth shaking. We were there on a Monday night. It's it's loud. The reason I ask you about the regimes and, and TJ, let me ask you this because you have been with different coaches. A lot of them. I this is my third head coach, Sean McDermott, and I will tell you, like Sean and I have a great relationship. And Sean, like the the first day I met Sean was at the combine. I see him a half hour after being introduced to him, and he calls me by name. Hey Sal, how are you? Looks me in the eye, talks to me. You know, he's just got that presence where he knew who I was, and I was important to him in the moment. You know what I mean? This is the first day where I'm not kidding you guys. For two years, I was on Rex Ryan's sideline, on his plane, in his hotel, at every practice, and I swear to you, he never knew who I was or my name. And it just it varies. Uh, I mean, John Gruden, uh, who I loved and who I was around first. Uh, and Tony Dungy the same way, but I was I was not part of the actual game broadcast on the sideline for Tony Dungy. I was part of the pregame coverage and did his pregame uh, radio interview. I never had to do the postgame radio interview uh, with Tony Dungy. They were as accommodating as you could be. Would look at you, would say TJ, would call you by their name, whatever. 
that I've worked with Raheem Morris, and, and Raheem is fantastic. Um, and it was his first coaching job, and he was, you know, 33 years old and had never been a head coach before. So we're going along on. I'm actually giving him some tips on things to 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 watch. Don't don't self inflict. Don't open yourself up to criticism. I'm not going to take you to a bad place. Don't go there yourself, sure. kind of thing. So it's neat that Raheem is now back around as the interim coach of the Falcons. Boy, just as an aside, you talk about the Twinkie Twilight Zone for me on Sunday because we don't play Sunday uh, with the Monday night game. So you got the Falcons with Raheem Morris as the coach, who I probably interviewed. 300 times between radio shows, training camp, pregame, postgame events. So I got Raheem, and then I've got Jameis Winston, who for the last five years I did pregame and postgame interviews with Jameis because we had a sponsored pregame interview. I interviewed him every postgame for basically the last five years, and now they're playing each other with Atlanta against New Orleans, so I don't know quite what to think. But regimes are different. Yeah. Um, I, I will I will tell you, I don't, I don't know about Bill O'Brien in, in specific, uh, Greg Schiano was as uncooperative as anybody you could ever work with. Wow. And it's one of the big reasons why he's not in the NFL and he will probably never be back in the NFL in a head coaching capacity, just because the word is out everywhere, not an NFL head coach for the things that he was, for the things that he was doing. And so then you move forward to Lovey Smith. Uh, and again, the bucks have been through five different coaches in the last decade since they fired John Gruden and Lovey Smith had coached in Chicago and understood the media and understood that part of it. And then uh, after that, dealt with Dirk Cutter, who's now uh, the Atlanta offensive coordinator, but he was the head coach here for a couple of years. He had been a college head coach, and he could be a little gruff and get in your face. And now I'm with Bruce Arians, and let me brag on him publicly here with you. Phenomenal. I mean, Bruce gets it on so many different levels uh, to deal with him before the game, after the game. Perfect example. So you, your audience, you guys saw how horrible we were back two Sunday nights ago against the Saints. We have worked out a system because we're all working in this operational zone in the front row. So we have worked out a system where we can get a halftime interview for two questions with him walking off the field with a long boom mic and portable headphones that are attached and hooked up. I'm standing there as it's 21-0, 28-0 in the second quarter, and eventually 31-0 in the second quarter. What And and you got one first down in the whole first. What am I going to ask him at halftime? Is he even going to stop and do it as he's coming at us to the tunnel? To his credit, he came over there, looked at me, put the headphones on, and I said, I really don't know what to ask you about 31 nothing here. What, what do you say to that team after that first half? And he said, we were horrible. We didn't do anything right. I mean, he was blunt. He was honest. He didn't swear on the air, which was good because he can sometimes <laughs> get colorful. But And then I even asked him a follow-up. I said, offensively, you've got one first down. What do you have to do? What do you have to do differently? He said, we can't protect the quarterback. We can't complete a pass right now. He goes, that's objective number one. Protect the quarterback, complete a pass, and we're going to go talk about it. He took the headphones off. He didn't slam them down. He left. But I'm just saying that to say that was the worst circumstance, to talk to him. And and yet he was professional and did it. He gets it. He spent a year in the CBS TV booth a couple of years ago before he came back to the NFL. But he's always been accommodating, from what I understand, with everybody everywhere with the media. Fantastic. Fantastic to deal with. Let me uh, focus on players now, interaction with them, because I'll tell you, one of my, I will tell you the craziest moment I've ever had on the sidelines is there was a brawl during a game. Leonard Fournette. Ja- Jacksonville. Game. Oh, yeah. Right. Leonard Fournette and Shaq Lawson. And I got pushed up against the wall as they were throwing haymakers to each other. I'm bumping <laughs> into the wall. I'm literally pinned against the wall. And there I am on CBS. If you look at the camera, I have a screenshot of me. I'm like you said, John, earlier, I'm hightailing it out yeah. of there. Like I literally was in the in the fight basically when it happened. There was a struggle for the ball at the goal line. The referee was looking at it. He called a touchdown, I believe. I think it was or whatever. And Micah Hyde's like, "Oh no, he's kind of arguing." One of the Jaguars players came over, said something. Micah said something to him. There must have been bad beef between Leonard Fournette and Shaq Lawson because Shaq comes over and Leonard comes streaming from the other sideline. He was he was on the bench, if I remember. He yeah. wasn't even in on the play. He ran from the other bench across to you, right? He did, and I'm and all of a sudden I see this happening, and you know it's like one of those things where you kind of we've all been there, we're, we're dudes, right? We've been in those situations in competitive environments where it just percolates and then it just explodes. That's what happened, and I'm in the explosion, and I'm hitting against the wall, so I hightail it. The other thing is you're gonna laugh. The sex toy, the dildo, was thrown right over my shoulder. <laughs> it landed. 
I, I couldn't believe it. I'm staring at it like, what do I well, do? Well, you remember, you remember who the quarterback is at the, in that moment is Mr. Brady. That was Brady, was Brady the, of course. And, yeah, and the referee's looking at Brady. Yeah. And yeah. Brady and Brady is looking at the referee, and he's like, I'm not going over there. I'm not touching that thing. You don't touch that. I don't that know thing. who is, but it ain't going to be me. He kicked it. But what about you guys? Um, John, like any like actual player, like interaction stories, like things that have happened down there, good or bad? Go, John. Go, John. Uh, you know, last week's Hail Mary, and I hate to bring that up. Oh, it, it, I, you, DeAndre and I were fairly close. I mean, we, we, we talked a lot. And, you know, I, I was doing an interview earlier in, in, down in Mississippi with a buddy of mine. We talk about college football, but we talk NFL. And so he's kind of asking me, you know, what happened? Uh, you know, why did, you know, what happened with DeAndre and why did he go? And I, I just said, look, you know, relationships and personalities get tricky, man. This is a, this is a weird, odd business. And, and I think both of you guys have put it, you know, with egos, you know, TJ, you dealt with a lot of different coaches. You know, I, I actually, I knew Bill. Um, I, I was a year behind Bill in college. We both went to Brown University. So I knew Bill. In fact, I actually tutored him through Econ 111 at Brown um, to get him through uh, his major. Um, and so I had that advanced knowledge of Bill and knowing him and, and, and that kind of thing. So that, that helped at times, but, but um, DeAndre was, was my, my favorite. And so we were playing the Raiders in uh, 2016 in the playoff game. And DeAndre does what DeAndre does. Brock actually threw him a ball he could catch. And the ball lands in about the perfect spot. Hop looks over his head and he catches it. And I can see that he, I can see the black turf coming up that I knew he got it in. I mean, you just get to a point, you know, it's like with Diggs. You know, Antonio Brown, it's like, you know, if they're on the sideline, you know, they caught it. You just know. So I knew he had gotten in. So they throw it down to me. And Mark says, hey, Johnny, what did you see? And so right as he throws it down to me, Hop gets in my ears like, bro, I caught that, didn't I? Like, right as I'm, <laughs> right as I'm on the air. That's great. Like, yes, Hop, you caught that ball. We'll see the replay in a little bit. Awesome. And he kind of put his arm around me and nodded like, yeah, I got it. And he was just always, he was always so interesting because he he would have those catches and just during games like he 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 find me like I caught that didn't I was like yeah you caught it every time you didn't have, you didn't meet, need me to have to you know uh, you know satisfy the fact that you caught it he knew it already but it was just the fact that he, I'm going right on the air and he's like bro I caught that right I'm like yes you caught it so uh, he he was he was always fun to be around for me. Um, I always loved being around him. Uh, we always had great interaction. And he had, I thought he was funny, too. And so we could always have a good time. But on the sidelines, when he'd make those catches and come find me, like, I caught that, right? Like, I was always that final word, like. He trusted you. I got you. it, right? Yeah, referee, yeah, yeah. I, got it, I got it. What about you, TJ? Okay, so I was just looking for something while you were talking about that story. And that's great because you're relaying, like, the winning uh, touchdown in that moment. So in the technology, am I able to show you what is on my screen? That's what I'm I curious about. I can. Uh, I don't think I can. You can show okay. me. On the so so I, I need to do that if there's I can. Uh, there's a button here, TJ, that says share screen. I don't know if you can. Yeah, I know. I got to look. I got to look for that. And I now have lost myself in, <laughs> in where I am on the browser. I still hear you guys but i don't see you guys so hang on i do see share my screen so sal if you can give me permission yes. here can like can that. you guys see my screen here uh when i hit this button i don't know if you have to allow me to do that or not but i want to show you the exact the exact kind of story you're talking about where you're part of the story on I'm the sidelines so forgive I me i don't think i can i don't know how live to live story so do you want me to email this where you can share it to your audience if you could or you could put it in your, the, the chat box or something maybe all right can i put it in the chat box where the audience can see it there so let me see Thanks. if i can drag the picture we're, we're trying to be tech savvy audience and this is worth it <laughs> so i'm telling the story uh because this happened uh where did the picture go i gotta find the picture and i'm gonna drag it in the chat box this happened in the 20 14 season lovey smith's first year we're playing thursday night football in atlanta like the third game of the year and they are destroying us and devin hester was the legendary punt returner yeah. uh for lovey smith in chicago first 
And um, and then uh, now with the Atlanta Falcons, now on the opposing sideline. And Sal, it's not letting me drag the picture in. So I don't know. Can I email it? Is that is that just as easy yeah, to be able to pull it up? So I'm trying to multitask here. And I think I got – I don't think I have your email, Sal. So give me give me your uh, – what, what email is the good email? DM me on Twitter. Put the picture in Twitter. Oh, that's right. Okay, so I can send it on Twitter. So anyway, Hester is on the verge of breaking the record um, – for punt return touchdowns, his next one will break the NFL record. All right. So, Sal, I just sent you the uh, the photo. So, sure it. enough, they're blowing us out. This is in the first half still, and the game is literally like 28 nothing. not unlike that Sunday night game a couple of weeks ago. I mean, the Bucks have had some awful blowouts in their history, a bunch of them. Um, and so – the the bottom line is uh, Hester. We punt the ball to him for whatever reason, and he takes off down the Buccaneer sideline right in front of me, and he's roaring by me, high stepping like Deion Sanders, like this. And unbeknownst to me, I'm not reacting because I learned long ago: do not react. Correct. Don't yeah. work yeah. on. Do no. not react. I know, yeah. John. You were talking earlier about jumping up and down. I do not yeah. react. I yeah. even on a big touchdown, I do not react. Yeah. So, Sal, if you're able to share that picture, can you see the picture? you have it on your phone, just do this to the screen. All right, let me see if we can make this happen. I think – As you're looking for it, so I'll tell you an interesting thing. So, we're playing the Vikings Vikings in Sammy Watkins' rookie year. I'll let you find that real quick and do it. We're playing the Vikings, Sammy Watkins' rookie year. Comes down to last play of the game, essentially. Kyle Orton on fourth down throws one to Sammy right in front of me. He toe taps. The Bills win. It's crazy. And I'm like, oh, I got this look on my face. I got the picture. I got the picture. You want to see me? Here we go. That's you. Is that you? <laughs> so, so before you finish your Sammy story, yeah. there is Devin Hester high-stepping on the NFL <laughs> record-breaking punt return. All right? This is in the first half of the game. So that photo now becomes the photo that's on every website, every oh. social media, everything, uh, because I think it's an Associated Press photographer that took the photo. Yeah. Yes. So that photo is everywhere. And you see where's Waldo in the background <laughs> there, not reacting. You know, again, that is that is my standard pose. I found it on my phone of do not react in that moment. And thank God I wasn't making a face or doing something like this because now my phone starts going absolutely crazy (laughs) from people that are seeing the photo online. It's like on the front page of ESPN.com while the game is going on that he's broken the touchdown return record. It's on social media everywhere. I'm hearing from people from California to New York to wherever that, hey, you're standing behind Devin Hester in the photo on my on my browser or whatever. So there's a great lesson. I just went and searched and found the photo that uh, I was taught long ago. Do not react, pro or con, because you never know when they could take your picture like that, and it right. could be everywhere, Sal. And then, somebody, and then somebody has a problem with it because you had the wrong reaction. You know, whether <laughs> Sammy Watkins toe taps for the winner. Here's mine, guys. Look at you. Right? Are you jumping? I can't see you. Were you no, jumping right in the air? Right there. No. You're right. just mouth open. Mouth I love right it. There. Right there. Right now. Here's the here's the crazy part, though. So that's mm-hmm. taken. And then literally about maybe 10 seconds later, this picture is taken. And now I I do have a reaction. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're like, Damn, hallelujah. Happy postgame show. Here's the crazy part. So there's a guy on Twitter, a kid, a young guy. He's, he's older now. This is whatever years ago. He took my face and photoshopped me into different things that have happened in history. Yep. This was something big that happened and said, great moments with Sal in history. He yeah, put me in the Bronco with OJ. He put me <laughs> at the Last Supper. Okay? He put me in the ring with Muhammad Ali. Yeah. It was unbelievable. I became- this, is your, this is your new agent, your PR guy. Yeah. You didn't hire the guy? Yeah. He got I you. I had the same thing. I had the same thing happened Monday night. I've got the picture on my computer. And it goes back to Hopkins again. We're playing the Bengals on Monday Night Football. We're, we're three and five, but we're trying to dig out of the hole. Cincinnati was undefeated at that time, and they thought they were just going to roll. Our defense played phenomenal. Quarterback goes down, no surprise. So TJ Yates has got to come in. He's been with us for like two and a half weeks. And he throws a bomb down the sideline to Hopkins. And it's one of those spots where I'm standing, and the way it was shot, you can see them, obviously, but it looks like I'm I'm seeing like this grand event, and they did the same thing. 
it, I'm just perfectly just staring at it. Like, oh my God, like what's happening? Like no reaction, just like staring at it. And they did the same thing. They took me and they put me at the Great Wall of China. They put me uh, next to uh, Steph Curry shooting three. People I mean, are- it was the same thing. They were all they were coming up with all these different places to put me. And I just happened to be standing there watching Hopkins make this tremendous catch. I'm like, what are y'all doing, man? I just, you know, got this photo. But um, I just had this kind of dumbfounded look on my face um, of like, is he going to catch it? Is he not? And and I think that was part of it. But I had the same thing. It was like, I don't know how many different places they put me. They probably put me on a Houston freeway at some point watching traffic. I was going to say, you should have been hilarious. like, because Houston's the space uh, capital, you should have been I, on the moon oh, with Neil Armstrong. You should have yeah, been one pretty, small I'm step for sure Neil, one I'm giant step for John. Somewhere, TJ, probably so. I mean, okay. Wasn't it the Browns that were playing you guys when their reporter got in trouble? Was it that year? Didn't the Browns go? I don't know. The Browns sideline reporter. Oh, he got he got in trouble, but it was not against us. It was a couple oh, games before. It was the Bucks, though, it wasn't. Remember when the Browns? It might, it might have been. And, and what was he? Was he criticizing? It was at the Saints. He yelled at the official. Yes. Yeah. The official. Okay. So anyway, the reason I, it wasn't you it was the Saints. It was SC South. But here's why I ask. Have you ever been in trouble with anything, guys? Like from anybody? I mean, like during a game in trouble. I'm not like I'm not saying team come to you and say, "Hey, be careful of this." Like I'm saying, like anything because the only thing I can think of that is is so minor, but it's true. We go to Tennessee and we've played there a couple times in the yellow line. You were talking about John. Like yeah. I'm not kidding you. They have one security person there, and he's been there twice now that I've yeah. gone. He will literally walk the line I, if your toe is touching the yellow line. What guy are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you got I'm like, dude, what do you? My toe was on line. I know you can't touch the line. Yeah, like that's the only thing. But I don't know if any of you guys ever had anything actually happen. Yeah, and and these and these are first world problems for us that yeah, we have to course. deal with because again, we get the privilege of being down there. I had one like I think it was in Philadelphia where he came over to me and I'm not on the O line and he asked me to move out of the way so the cheerleaders could see the field and I looked back at him and said, "I work for the team. I'm here to cover the game. I don't care if the cheerleaders see the field." And then he said. I need you to move so they can see. And I said, I work for the team. I need to be able to see the game. I don't care if your cheerleaders can see the field. And it kind of died in committee. Uh, yeah, I don't right know there. that I've had an instance. The only thing that happened, we went out to L.A. last year, 2019. We are playing that in that band box. And I have – this guy came up to me. I've got my mic. I'm, call, I'm calling a game. And a guy came up to me. He's like, what are you doing? And I looked at him like, I have a mic in my hands. What do you think I'm doing? I have headphones on. I mean, <laughs> wild guess here. Wild guess. And he was like, well, and he's kind of stammering. And I'm like, I was like, am I doing, I'm not doing anything that I haven't done in any other stadium. I'm on the sideline. I'm calling the game. I'm the team sideline reporter. I have a credential. I'm like, yeah, I've got the whole thing. I'm like, I don't understand what the issue is. Well, you can't be down here without a vest. You got to wear a vest. I'm like, vest? The only vest I'm going to wear is if I go, you know, up north and see Sal, I'm going to wear a vest because it's going to be cold that day. I was like, I'm not wearing a vest. He, like, came out and he, like, tries to hand it to me. I looked at him like, I'm not wearing – I told him, I was like, I'm not wearing that. I don't have to wear that. I'm not wearing that vest. I mean, the sideline is not an ultimate fashion statement, but I'm not wearing the vest. And the guy just kind of looked at me. He kind of kept his eye on me the rest of the game. And I'm like – there was – and the thing about that stadium, which was interesting, was – because it was a soccer stadium, there was so much room on the sidelines. There was tons of room. So when uh, Jordan Akins had a long touchdown against him, and I'm kind of running along, and there's nobody, there's nobody there. And I'm like, I got to thinking about it later on. I'm like, what the hell was that guy doing? I mean, I wasn't doing anything other than my job with a credential, with a mic in my hand. And he's like, uh, you don't need to – like, What? No, right. I'm I'm right where I need to be, pal. I'm okay. Go, you know, help the cheerleaders. Go do your other job, what you have to do. We're all good. You don't have to worry about me. We're okay. But other than that, it's, it's been pretty good for the most part. I don't think I've had um, – I've got to know a few of the refs uh, a little bit, a few of the officials. Like I've got to know Cleet Blakeman a little bit. And um, <laughs> ran into Cleet at a, at a hotel in Dallas and just – Start talking to him, struck up conversation. So every time I see Cleet now, you know, we talk before the game and all that kind of stuff. So, well, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of nice to have, you know, and, you know, you guys coached in some capacity at some point, and I did in some, at some point, and I've never had a great relationship with officials. 
So I knew, all right, in this role, I better have a good relationship because if I say something on the sideline, which I'm bound to do, I'm going to get in trouble. So I got to try and make nice to them when I can. So I try at least with a few of the guys for sure. Okay, so a funny Cleek Blakeman story real quick because Raymond James Stadium has the iconic pirate ship for the Buccaneers in the north end zone, and and the stadium is slated to host the Super Bowl this year, so everybody sees that iconic thing. We were having a bad year. I think this was Lovey Smith's first year, and it was it was the only year Josh McCown was here. And Josh has been well traveled. I think he's played for every team. I don't know if he played for Houston and yeah. Buffalo, but he played he's for about everybody now. else. Yeah. Yeah. So now he's with you guys. So he's literally got like fourteen uh, jerseys that he that he can now frame uh, from having played. But anyway, we were having a we were having a game. It was a close game where we didn't get a call. I mean, there was one terrible call after another call, and finally McCown. And he talked to me about this afterwards on the radio. He finally tapped Cleek Blakeman. Just tapped him and said, Cleet, he said, you see that pirate ship in the north end zone? And Cleet goes, yeah. He goes, that means we're the home team. He goes, sooner or later, you got to give us a call. Pirate ship, a call was what is what he told uh, Cleet Blakeman that day. Hey, I got to scoot in a couple of minutes, but I want to relay another story from the sideline. And I was talking about this. Anyway, so you go ahead and we're going to wrap right. up. So, so uh, I was talking about this with my family the other night about going to Hawaii. First year I'm doing the Bucks sideline is 2005. And the team is on the verge of clinching a playoff spot. And I am working a college basketball tournament for the University of South Florida here in Tampa. Sal knows from having been in the area, I used to do USF, which is now in the American Conference, used to be in the Big East, follow the bouncing ball, used to do their basketball on the radio. So we're playing a holiday Christmas week tournament in Hawaii so I'm the announcer, so I go all the way out to Hawaii, 10,000 miles from Tampa, Florida, out to Hawaii to do the tournament. As it works out, I am able to get back for a Saturday, Christmas Eve, Saturday slate of NFL games on Christmas Eve 2005, flying all night Friday night and all Saturday morning to get into Tampa about an hour before kickoff. Oh, wow. And I get in position about 15 minutes before the game. So I have flown all night, six time zones, five time zones, whatever it is away, have have gotten in after doing the basketball, have not seen John Gruden, had not done the pregame interview with him the day before, have not seen him. So he comes out of the tunnel before the pregame introduction with his security guard, and I'm standing there with the mic, and he's running right by me. I stick my fist bump out and said, I flew 10,000 miles to make the playoffs today. And he said, I'm with you. And he fist bumped me and he <laughs> ran by me. All right. So this is a game that is still epic, at least in recent Buccaneer history post Super Bowl, because this is Michael Vick and the Falcons against Chris Sims, the Buccaneer quarterback who's now on TV. Uh, Joey Galloway, Cadillac Williams playing for the Bucs. Michael Vick is the most prominent Atlanta Falcon. Jim Mora was very famously junior on the sideline on his cell phone late in the game, violating NFL rules because he was trying to find out if a tie in overtime benefited the Falcons to make the playoffs or not, which it actually didn't. They had to win the game. The Bucs were going to clinch the division and make the playoffs with either a win or a tie. The Falcons had to win to stop that from happening. So to tell the story again about the Eagles story I related about 20 or 30 minutes ago where they scored on the final play of the game. We go to overtime. Buccaneers are getting the kickoff in overtime. Win the toss. Michael Vick calls the coin, and he called it wrong. The Buccaneers get the ball to start overtime. And in these days, you only need a field goal. You win the game. You win in overtime. Opening kickoff of overtime, the Buck returner, who you wouldn't know, fumbles the opening kickoff at like the 18-yard line, and the Falcons have it for the field goal and the win. So they run one play to get it in the middle, and on like second down, are going to kick the field goal a minute into overtime. We're done. I'm standing there with the mic going, great. I'm going to be in the post-game locker room, and it's going to be a morgue. We've lost. One of the Bucks, whose name is Dwayne White, you probably wouldn't know that name, big defensive tackle, came right through the middle and blocks the field goal. Live ball, pick it up, run a little bit with it. Buccaneers drive down in the sudden death and miss. Matt Bryant misses the winning field goal in the overtime. So we go from the euphoria of, okay, we're going to try to get Matt Bryant on the field right after the game. You've made the playoffs to, oh, crap, he just missed that. And now the Falcons have the ball again. And that's when Jim Mora was on the phone very famously and got fined like 50 grand by the NFL because you can't be on a cell phone outside communication because he was asking, if this ends in a tie, does this help us? 
Yeah. It, long story short, got the ball again, got into scoring range, and Matt Bryant won the game with a field goal. So I'm interviewing after the game Chris Sims, Matt Bryant, Gruden. I'm like, man, it's going to be a Merry Christmas. It's Christmas Eve, the whole thing. I got that Meli Kaliki Maka sign that is Merry Christmas in Hawaii in 05 on that trip. It sits here in my office, and it reminds me of that game 15 years later. That sign came from Hawaii. I came from Hawaii, and the Bucks made the playoffs on that story in 2005. That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. I hope we can do it again sometime when we're not, uh, when we can all maybe get together a little bit more and uh, yes. we'll see each other. Like I said, what's funny is I got to tell you, I've been to almost every stadium. I would have knocked the last few off except for a couple this year, but we couldn't travel. But next year, TJ, believe it or not, I've been to Tampa for plenty of Bucks games when I lived down there, including the yeah. Bills. Never as the sideline reporter. I will be next year, hopefully. And then John, you come up here. But yep. Texans, Bucks, I, I think you guys played last year, right? Yeah, we played. That was a Jameis Winston four interception fest. Uh, yes, uh, on a I Saturday. Jameis pick sixes. Jameis was in the mode of I'm going to keep both teams in the game at all times and threw it right to the Texans and then made a game of it uh, yeah. after the two interceptions in the first quarter. Uh, and again, God only knows. Be thinking of me Sunday. I know you guys are working, Sal. You're off, but John, you're working probably yeah. uh, uh, Sunday because again, it's Twinkie Twilight Zone with Raheem and the Falcons against yeah. Jameis in a Saints jersey playing against them. Welcome to 2020, boys. It is yeah. just bizarre. Weird. You've had your primetime treatment a lot this year. We're going to have ours. The Bills are on primetime three out of four weeks, starting in two weeks. They'll be on a Sunday, a, mon a Monday, a Sunday, and a Monday, and then maybe even a Saturday as well. So so we'll see. But, guys, uh, I I've kept you both very long. I appreciate it. This was awesome. Thank you very much. I hope our listeners appreciated it. We're going to turn around and make it an audio on the podcast, Sal Sports and stuff. It's not just a live show, but it'll be archived on the audio on the podcast. So thanks a lot, guys. It appreciate was my it, privilege. TJ. Y'all take care. Hey, man. great seeing right. you guys. My privilege to be here. Sorry I was delayed and hope we kept them entertained. Thank you, babe. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us on Sal Sports and stuff and Sal Sports Live tonight. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.